and welcome back to another episode of the Heart of the Preacher's Kid podcast. I am your host, Chan, and of course, today I always have something I want to talk about. But before I get into that, don't forget to go and like, rate, comment, subscribe on whatever platform you are hearing this on. I would like to hear from you. And also, don't forget to follow us at Heart of a Preacher's Kid on Facebook or at Heart of a Preacher's Kid on Instagram. So today, um, if you celebrate, if you don't celebrate it, happy Valentine's Day. Or if you're hearing this much later, still, you are loved um, by God first and then hopefully by your fellow brothers and sisters. But happy Valentine's Day. Um, and kind of in the same vein of the heart, I wanted to title this podcast, well, really, I was led by God to title this podcast, When Your Heart Wants What It Can't Have. So, I've been reading um, Ezekiel since um, maybe the end of last year, and I came across chapter 20. And... Oh, if you hear in the background, that is my dog yawning awake. Um, <laughs> but I came across tra- chapter 20 and the title of it is Rebellious Israel Purged. In this chapter, um, literally from like the beginning, like verse one to probably, yeah, about verse 29, it's like talking about this pattern that the Israelites have with God. Um, and I kind of outlined it in my, um, my Bible, cause I have a journal Bible, uh, what that pattern was. It was like, God would give Israel a promise and then instruction. And then Israel would come back, disobey that instruction, rebel. And then of course, Once you do something wrong, you get punished or chastised in this case because God chastises the ones that he loves. Then God would come back with mercy and grace and more instruction. And this would go on. Same thing. You know, promise, instruction, disobedience, rebellion, God's mercy and grace, more instruction. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Like, I was struggling (laughs) to understand. I'm like, God, they keep doing the same things over and over and over again. Aren't you tired? But I have to realize God is not man. And thank goodness for that. Because where would we be if he was, if he got tired of us, if he got tired of us doing, you know, being disobedient, being rebellious um and just letting his you know wrath fly on us thank god that he sent his son jesus for us to stand as a mediator but my goodness how we see the israelites choose to go in this direction of rebellion and go against god at the same time but i often pondered and i if you go back um to my blog, um, which is theheartofapreacherskid.com, I wrote about one of the many struggles of Israel and probably a struggle for us today, and that is idolatry. 
I posed this question of what is idolatry anyways? Because I know we talk about it a lot and you're just like, okay, um, in Exodus um, 20 and 4, it's like, you shall not make yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. So, and we all know, like, the commandment, thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Oh my goodness, if you hear that in the background, I am so sorry. Um, I guess everybody's moving this morning. But, um, yeah, what is idolatry exactly? And why is it so easy to fall into, especially for the Israelites at the time? So, I looked um, it up in Easton's Bible Dictionary, and they define idolatry as image worship or divine honor paid to any created object. I mean, in other words, anything that has been made by man that is worshipped or revered in the same way or above God. That's any created object. Do you guys know that that can literally be anything? It could be our phones. It could be food. <laughs> it can be our bed. Um, it can literally just be anything. But, you know, for me, those are common things. But why was it so easy for the Israelites to fall into idolatry so often? So if you would, go with me to... Ezekiel 20, and let's see why, right? So, in Ezekiel 20 and 6, it says, On that day I swore to them that I would bring them out of Egypt into a land I had searched out for them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most beautiful of all lands. And I said to them, Each of you get rid of the vile images you have set your eyes on, and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Verse 8, they, it says, But they rebelled against me and would not listen to me. They did not get rid of the vile images they had set their eyes on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. So I said I would pour out my wrath on them and spend my anger against them in Egypt. So, wow. I'm sorry, guys, if I'm sniffling. It's because my allergies are acting up. Promise is no corona. Um, God gave them the simple instruction, get rid of your vile images. Don't follow after these gods that are in Egypt because number one, what can they offer you? Did those gods bring you out of Egypt? Did they deliver you out of bondage, out of the slavery at the time? No. So why keep them, right? Why is this attachment to images so great to worship so i think about the part where it says you have set your eyes on the vile images you have set your eyes on the israelites made it a priority made these images a priority they made the conscious decision to have their eyes set on something. I don't know about you guys, but when I set my eyes on something, especially, let me tell you, if it's chocolate involved, 
But when I have my eyes set or my palette set for something, it's like I'll do anything it takes to go after it. I'll fight for my chocolate. No, <laughs> but you, that's, that's how it seemed with the Israelites. When, you're, when your mind is made up to serve something, you'll do what it takes to keep it. But in this case, and for me, I know that chocolate is bad, right? It'll give me headaches. It'll give me um, a major sweet tooth that I don't like. But it'll also make me get fat. <laughs> setting their eyes in the same way I'm setting my eyes on chocolate. Setting their eyes on these graven images. These images from Egypt that they know only would hurt them. They knew that these graven images were bad for them. Because... Yeah, <laughs> they knew that they couldn't help them. They knew it was detrimental to their relationship with God, who had established a covenant long before they were even in the position that they were in. But yet, they were set. Their eyes were set on idolatry. And because they were so set, they couldn't get rid of it. They couldn't worship God in the way that they should. They instead chose the lesser than the greater. But God is so good, right? <laughs> He's so good that in Ezekiel 20 and 9, it, it comes back around and God is like, but for the sake of my name, I brought them out of Egypt. God was like, I'm still going to do what I said I would do. You may have wronged me. You may have chosen the lesser when I am truly greater, but I have mercy upon you. Mercy is undeserved, okay? It's basically undeserved grace. <laughs> God continues and says, I did it to keep my name from being profane in the eyes of the nations among whom they lived and in whose sight I had revealed myself to the Israelites. Therefore, I led them out of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. I gave them my decrees and made known to them my laws, by which the person who obeys them will live. Verse 12, also I gave them my Sabbath as a sign between us, so they would know that I, the Lord, made them holy. So again, God's like, okay, right? I have mercy on you. Here's my grace. You know, this is why I did this. Because number one, you are my people. I'm your God. I'm going to show these people that think that I'm not great to you that I am great. I am the Lord. All the nations will know that I am the Lord. And then number three, I'm going to again give you another chance to get it right. God is so loving <laughs> to us and we don't deserve it at all. But he is so loving. That even when we choose to celebrate or worship other images, he gives us another shot of like, okay, you may have, you know, cheated on me for a second, but I'm still committed. And God is still faithful even when we're not. He's committed to this covenant. He keeps his covenant. He is the covenant keeper. But are we doing the same? Are we going to continue to allow 
this constant, you know, pattern of God giving us instruction and a promise. And then we go and disobey and rebel, causing God to get angry and then wanting him to, to chastise us. And then God going like, okay, I would go and pour out my wrath. I would go, you know, show them like, hey, this is wrong, but I'm going to keep my promise. I'm going to keep my promise to Israel and keep them alive. And again, show them grace and mercy. And then God still accepting them as his children, because that's what they are. They are his children and we are his children. But can can we continue this cycle for the rest of our lives? The answer is no, we can't. <laughs> In Jeremiah three fourteen, it says, Return, O backsliding children, says the Lord, for I am married to you. I will take you one from the city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. God literally tells us as his children once we come to know him that you are so connected to me. You have a covenant that you can't leave. <laughs> you can't leave. And why would you? Let's start there. Why would you want to leave the best, significant, other, spouse, lover of your soul ever in the world to go to an idol and commit adultery um, against God? Why would you want to go to lesser when you already have greater? So when the Israelites fell back, into, you know, idolatry and going against God in this way, it is like cheating. It's like you being committed in a marriage <laughs> and you deciding, hmm, I think today I'll step out because my mind is set and made up. So I'm going to go cheat on my husband. But you're already in a binding relationship with the best. It kind of reminds me of the 80-20 rule. I don't know if anybody's ever watched um, Tyler Perry's Why Did I Get Married? But it's mentioned in there. But it's like when a person cheats, they're, they tend to be um, attracted to the 20% or however percentage you put it, the 20% of the person, of the other person or of their spouse that isn't that's missing. So they see that in the person that they're cheating with. But when we think about our connection to God and how God is basically 100%. So there isn't anything really attractive about other graven images because there's nothing missing from God. He has everything that you need. But it's really a kind of internal like, what are you? What, what are you missing? What are you missing? Why do you feel like your connection with God is not where it's at? But also understanding that in this binding covenant, everything God has to offer to you, you can have if you ask. But also understanding that in this binding covenant, even if you try to ignore it, it's still there. Um, that's how I like to think of my salvation. Like once you know God, um, you can't escape it unless you choose to. But... Being in this binding covenant, it's like 
in Ezekiel 20 and 32, it says, you want to be like the nations, like the peoples of the world who serve wood and stone. But what you have in mind will never happen. It will never happen. You serving another God, it will never happen. Because constantly you'll be stuck in this cycle like the Israelites were. Of constantly going to cheat, going to cheat. But God grants you, you know, his grace and his mercy. First, he, you know, chastises you. But then he grants you his grace and mercy of saving you again and again and again. And then giving you instruction and again. And you're still going back and still going back. So it's like, why cheat? Why go out? Verse 33 says, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord. I will reign over you with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with outpoured wrath. God's saying, no matter what, I'm going to get you back in alignment because I love you. I'm going to bring you back to let them know that I am your God. Why go against him? When you know your heart can't have what it wants. I'm talking about the heart that is deceptive. You can't have what your fleshly heart wants and being adulterous with idolatry. So why don't you just chase after God, the one who's loved you from the very, very beginning, when he crafted you, when he saw you in your mother's womb, when he planned your future. If you continue to read Ezekiel 20 um, till the end, it's like you begin to see why God is so adamant about bringing his children back because he loves us that much. He loves and loved the Israelites so much that he wanted, you know, to basically show them that I, I'm going to I'm going to pour this out on you because this can't continue. It's like your mom telling you, OK, I've told you a bunch of times, pick up after yourself. And every time it's like the cycle of like, OK. Yeah, I'll pick it up next time. I'll pick it up next time. I'll pick it up next time. Eventually, mama's going to get tired. Well, at least my mama did. <laughs> and then it comes to the point of like your discipline, the disciplinary action. But it's only because our connection to God or our connection to our parents is unbreakable. Because even when we don't keep the covenant that he set out for us to have with him, he will. He's faithful. And so for those who revolt or rebel, like in your rebellious teenage years, if you had them, um, he'll purge. He'll punish. He'll move. To move the unsightly thing. The unrighteous from the righteous. And separate us out. So in verses 39 through 44, we come to realize how Israel was really treating God. They treated God like just the nice per person that people take advantage of. But what they didn't realize is that even after they've gone and done their sin, it'll still become exposed. 
the ugly ugliness, the ugly parts of it, they'll know why. But also, they'll see that this deed is mistreatment of God who said, okay, you know, go go and have your idols. Go do, go do that. But he's like, what I'm going to do? What I'm going to do in verse 44 is, you will know that I am the Lord when I deal with you for my name's sake and not according to your evil ways and your corrupt practices, you people of Israel, declares the Lord. He was going to treat them with kindness. He's going to treat them with kindness. He's like, I'm not going to do what you expect me to do. I'm going to do what you don't deserve. And then you'll see just how wrong it is. Isn't that hard for us to wrap our heads around? When we deserve, you know, punishment, when we deserve to be, some people think God does, banish us to the pits of hell. He keeps us alive. He keeps breath in our body. He keeps us going. Because his heart for us is much, much larger. That he spares us so that we can grow in our heart for him. So I charge you, people of God, and those who may not know God. What's in your heart? Are you going after what you want and can't have? Or are you going after what you need and readily available for you? So after all this, my hope is for all of you to hear the voice of the Lord, to do as he says, and to seek after him. Read his word. So be free, be loved, and be blessed. Thank you. I'll see you next time. Don't forget to follow our page on Facebook at The Heart of a Preacher's Kid and on Instagram, Heart of a Preacher's Kid. Be blessed and have a great day. I'll see you next time.